Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' name. I welcome you to this service as well. I do want to welcome the visitors. We're glad you're here and invite you to join in and worship the Lord with us this morning. I'm afraid I'm going to do some sweating this morning. I broke out into a sweat in Sunday school, and so I guess I should turn my fan on right here at the beginning. For a text, I invite you to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The title that I have chosen for my message today is Pressing Towards the Goal. I share this message today with several things in mind. First of all, the instruction class is currently studying for Lesson 8 entitled, How to Grow in the Christian Life. And then second, as, as you know, we have just finished another school term. Many goals were pressed towards and reached throughout the past year. And then third is the church. We may need the encouragement at this time to keep pressing toward the goal. And so those things are on my mind this morning. Yesterday in the softball games, we witnessed firsthand folks pressing towards the goal. You know, the ultimate goal in softball is home base. However, many goals must be pressed towards before the ultimate goal of arriving safely home. The first goal is to successfully hit the ball into a safe zone. And then the goal of reaching first base. Think about school. The ultimate goal for first grader junior is graduation. However, junior must achieve many, many goals over many, many years before the ultimate goal of graduation. You know, what is true in life, be it school, be it sports, be it business, is also true for the most important pursuit of life, the pursuit of pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In our text, we have the word press. I press toward the goal. I hardly know how to explain its full meaning. It's a, a heavy word. It's a word that expresses determination, focus, pain and suffering, sweat, and tears. In Philippians 3, 9 through 11, Paul shares his personal goals. And I'll read those three verses at this time. Philippians 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul saying in these verses? In my words, Paul is saying, I want to be found in him and his righteousness. And he goes on to say how that is found. It's found in faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ in a personal and practical way. I want to experience the power that comes when we live in light of the resurrection. I want to have the attitude Jesus had when facing the difficult times of life. I want to know the peace of Jesus, the peace that he promised to his disciples when he was about to leave this earth. And I want to live now as a person who attains the resurrection of the dead on this side of the grave. These were Paul's personal goals. What are your goals this morning? Continuing in verse 12 through 14, Paul continues with guidelines as to how we can focus on spiritual growth. And I will read Philippians 3, 12 through 14 at this time. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. The word apprehended has the thought to take hold of. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching towards to those which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I have five points for us to consider this morning from verse 12 through 14, and I will call them five requirements for pressing towards the goal. The first requirement is we must realize that God has a goal for my life. Look at the last part of verse 12. But I press on that I may lay hold for that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul understood that the Lord took hold of his life with a goal in mind. After Paul's blinding experience on the road to Damascus, God told Ananias in a dream to arise and go to into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And you may recall in that account, Ananias was fearful about his heavenly assignment. He said, Lord, I've heard about this fellow. He's a bad guy. You know, I've heard about what he's doing to your saints in Jerusalem. But if you remember God's reply to fearful Ananias, God's reply was that Saul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God said that Paul, at that time he was called Saul, was a chosen vessel unto God. 
Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'd like to read verse 28 and 29. As we think about God having a goal for my life, and as we think about being a chosen vessel, Romans 8 verse 28 is a familiar verse. Verse 29 is not so familiar. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestinated or predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, it's a sobering thought to think that God foreknew and predetermined his goals for my life long before I ever drew my first breath. The all things of life, the mountaintops, the valleys, what I'm facing today, God foreknew the all things of life have a predestined purpose. And we see what that purpose is, to conform and shape us to the likeness of his son. That is why all things work together for good to those that love God. You know, we must realize that God's goal is not to just get us in the door. He is not looking to just merely save us. His goal is to transform us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. The Christian is one that is ever moving towards Christ-likeness, making progress towards holiness. We call that growing in the Christian life. God has a goal for your life. You are a chosen vessel unto him. You are called according to his purpose. He foreknew that. He predestined that long before you were born. His plan will lead you to joy, fulfillment, contentment, and eternal blessing. Sometimes we wonder, what is God's goal for my life? Beyond this shaping me into the likeness of Christ. You know, I don't think it's wrong to think such a thought of what goals God has in mind for my life. But don't overlook God's goals for you today. Let me read a few verses at this time. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You see, God has a goal for your life. What we must do is lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The second point that I want to consider is recognize that you have not arrived. You know, Paul not only recognized that God has a purpose for his life, he recognized that he was not fully arrived at that purpose. Notice what he says in verse 12 and 13 again. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on. Brethren, verse 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. The word perfect in verse 12 means complete. Paul recognized that he is not finished yet. Paul recognized that he did not have everything figured out. I'm sure you are familiar with the term, the middle of the road. You know, we use that term. This is the middle of the road. On each side of the road is a ditch. The middle of the road is Philippians 3.14. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. However, the devil does not want us in the middle of the road. He wants you in a ditch, and he doesn't care which ditch. You know, sometimes people get in the ditch of discouragement. They feel like they aren't progressing in the Christian life. And then they begin to look around and they see others who seem to be progressing well. But for them, nothing is happening. Life seems boring and they become discouraged. You know, we must remember that the Christian life is a life of growth and maturity. And growth takes time. Think of Paul as diligent as he was living the Christian life. He said, I have not arrived. I need to keep growing. And so it is for every Christian who walks the face of this earth. Don't get discouraged. Keep moving on. Keep pressing on. Because growth takes time. You know, some people have a different problem. They get in the other ditch. These folks, they conclude that they have arrived at where God wants them to be. They reached a certain point in their knowledge, and they conclude that they are a, a mature Christian. That's a dangerous ditch to be in because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 verse 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You see, we must measure ourselves by Christ. He wants us to be pure in our actions, in our conversations, in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our relationships. He wants us to love him above anything else. God wants to be in the position of influence in every part of our life. And I believe Paul understood this. And when you and I understand 
we will realize, like Paul, that we have not arrived. Point number three, don't live in the past. Verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now keep in mind Paul's past. These words are coming from a man that previously persecuted Christians. It says he made havoc. I'm not sure what all that included. But we do know that he was present when Stephen was stoned. Paul had a past to work through. And he's telling us here to forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. Why is forgetting the past so important for Christian growth? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. What does this mean? What is Paul teaching here? And I thought first I would say what it doesn't mean. Paul is not telling us to literally not remember anything. I mean, certainly we should remember who we were before we were saved. We should remember the times we have seen God's faithfulness demonstrated, his answers to prayer. We need to remember the mistakes we made so that we can avoid them in the future. It also is not telling us that we don't have to fulfill the responsibilities of the past. You know, if we wronged someone, we need to make it right. If we stolen from someone, we need to make restitution. If we have a problem with someone, we should seek to be reconciled. So what is, what is Paul teaching us here? I believe what this is saying is that we can't and we must not live in the past. What happened in the past is past, and we must keep going forward. And I believe for two reasons. First, we have a tendency to fixate on the past. We will hold on to some bad experience, and it will become an anchor that weighs us down. We will remember a hurt that someone inflicted upon us, and we will let that hurt just eat us up. We will remember a time when we stumbled and will determine in our hearts to never try again. You see, how we deal with the painful things of the past will determine how we live in the present. We must learn from pain and move on. What God has forgiven should never be taken on as a burden again. The second reason for for forgetting the past is folks sometimes have a tendency to rest in the past. Replaying in their minds and talking about past experiences, past victories, the wonderful salvation experience that they had. But Paul determined that he would not rest on past accomplishments, but always looking forward to what needed done. So today, for us, where are you living? Are you living in the past or are you living in the present? What is your conversation? Is it past tense or is it present tense?
Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Sport teams have a past tense problem. They have a great victory, and then they glow in that victory. They won, success, they're famous. And in the next game, do they win again? No, they lose to an inferior opponent because they lost their focus. Paul said, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Point number four is be intentional, be intentional about your growth. You know, growth will not happen if we are haphazard about our spiritual life. Verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's interesting that the word press in verse 14 and the word persecuting in verse 6, if you're still there in Philippians 3, are the same word. Verse 6, Paul is, is reflecting on his previous life and how he uh, persecuted the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Paul's old zeal for persecuting the church is now replaced by an intensity to pursue God's plan for his life. This one thing I do, single-minded, focused, not distracted. He had that Proverbs 4.25 focus of letting thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids looking straight before thee. I press towards the goal, stretching forward, not only concentrating, but straining forward. You know, I see an image of a man running a race. When you see a person racing or a group of people running a race, they are leaned forward. This is the image of the Christian in his desire to grow spiritually. You know, I just thought of something here. It's not in my notes, and that's kind of dangerous, but... Uh, you know, I read recently that walking is nothing more than controlled falling. Have you ever thought about that? If your foot went go out ahead, you would be right on your face. It's something to think about. Walking is nothing more than controlled falling. Just thought about that. But moving on, as we think about intentional being intentional about your growth. Some of mankind's greatest contributions have come from people who decided that no sacrifice was too large and no effort too great to accomplish what they set out to do. And I have several examples of that. The first one is Noah Webster. Mr. Webster worked diligently for 36 years to print the first edition of his dictionary. Columbus believed 
that the world was round. And he almost lost his life trying to prove it. Think of the pilgrims and all they went through to settle in a new world. As a young guy, I heard an old preacher say this many times, and some of you here this morning is going to recognize this. But this preacher would say that nowhere in the Bible do we find that a person by faith sat down and did nothing. I don't know what got Mr. Webster interested in compiling a dictionary. I mean, maybe he got tired of people arguing about the definitions of words and pronunciation, and, and uh, maybe he was just a scholar kind of a guy. I don't really know. But what if Mr. Webster would have been just content with the idea of a dictionary? You know, I think what we need is a book that has all the words in, starting in alphabetical order, you know, and how to pronounce it and the definition. You know, what if he would have been content to just think that, you know, that would be a good idea? You know, what if Columbus would have been content to just believe that the world is round? You know, if people want to think the world's flat, let them think it. What if the pilgrims would have been content to just live in the old world and say, well, you know, it was tough for us, and, you know, if it's tough for our children, so be it. You say these people had a vision. They had a goal, and they were intentional about it. In other words, they got up out of the recliner, and they did something about it. Don't be content with just thinking that Christian growth is a good idea. Be intentional about it. Point number five, keep your eyes on the goal. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize of the upward call of God? You know, we know about trophies. We know about gold medals, rewards. We're familiar with that. I read that athletes who are training for the Olympics, when they get tired of the grueling training, will imagine in their minds what it will be like to stand on the victory platform and hear the national anthem of their country being played. And they say that that picture spurs them on. It keeps them going. What is the prize of the upward call of God? Notice that the prize is in Christ Jesus. You know, we can experience that only in part today. And what we can experience is truly wonderful. We can receive Christ into our hearts. We can experience and know his presence. We can have fellowship together in Christ Jesus. The blessing of being surrounded by those whose lives have been redeemed partially because of our faithful witness is certainly a wonderful prize in Christ Jesus. 
However, I wonder if Paul was thinking beyond the present. Was he thinking about his future crowning and his glorious resurrection? The image of standing before the Father and hearing, well done. The joy of that first moment when you see Jesus. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians 9, I'd like to read 24 through 27 as we think about keeping our eyes on the goal and on the prize. First Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Now, I'll just pause and say that that's true in a race of this world, but the race that we're running in this morning, the race of the Christian life, it's a race that each one of us can obtain a prize. So keep that in mind. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In verse 25, we see two crowns that are given for victory, the corruptible and the incorruptible. The first crown is given to the athlete, the corruptible or the perishable crown. You know, an athlete is willing to do whatever it takes to win. He will exercise daily. He will eat healthy. He is willing to be instructed by his coach. He is totally focused on winning, all for the corruptible crown, a crown that will pass away, a crown that will be forgotten by this world in a few short years. The second crown is different than the first, and that is the incorruptible crown. It's different in that it lasts forever, an immortal crown. And what I find interesting, that even though it's different, we obtain it just like the athlete obtains his crown. We obtain it by being totally committed, totally focused, in tune with our coach, willing to make whatever sacrifices are necessary, all for the incorruptible crown that is reserved in heaven for us. You see, the crown of victory is for the victorious Christian. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on the prize. The Bible says, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, which reminds us again that the prize is found in Jesus Christ. In conclusion... I want to read the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, and I will invite you to Luke 9, 
56 through 62. You know, this thing of pressing towards the goal is more than just a good idea for us this morning. We're talking about how we go to heaven, how we make it to heaven. We're talking about the way to heaven. Luke chapter 9, I think I'll begin in verse 56 and read through 62. Luke 9. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went into another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Folks, we have put our hand to the plow. And you know, looking back is not an option. Don't even let the devil thank you with such Don't even let the devil tempt you with such thoughts. You know, we have no choice this morning but to continue towards the goal, towards the upward prize. Jesus said that those who have put their hand to the plow and then look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. And so this morning to the instruction class, Keep pressing on. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. To the Ebenezer Mennonite School, keep pressing on. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. To the Ebenezer church family, keep pressing on. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. To our visitors, keep pressing on. Keep yourself in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I'll call for a song.